The reading this morning is taken from uh, Matthew 5, verse 27 to 32. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anybody who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anybody who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anybody who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anybody who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Olaf. You'll see that in the passage Jesus just, or that uh, Olaf just read, Jesus is teaching on two things, on adultery and divorce. Uh, those are very weighty, personal, painful areas, maybe, maybe for us personally. And I don't think I can give both of them the attention they deserve in 20 minutes. So I'm not going to preach on divorce this morning. But if you'd like to hear more what Jesus has to say, there's a sermon that you can read or listen to. We're going to post a link to it under the YouTube stream for this service, and we're going to email the link out in tomorrow's newsletter as well. And if you'd appreciate a conversation with someone on the staff, then please get in touch if you'd like to, to speak. We'd, we'd be very happy to talk more. Well, I really need Jesus' help uh, to teach on, on this part of his word, and we all need his help to receive his words. So let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you speak to us for our good because you love us. And Father, I pray that Jesus' words would be life-giving for us this morning, heavy as they are. I pray, Father, that far from planting any dangerous ideas in our minds or stirring up uh, bad thoughts, that you would please use this time to guard us from harm for our good and for your glory. Amen. Well, let me ask, what if you were doing something all the time without realizing it was bad for you? Wouldn't you want to know? Yeah, it could be something trivial, eating a whole bag of Haribo every day, you know, without realizing that's not ideal. Or it could be something more serious. Everyone used to think that smoking wasn't bad for you. It's just a cigarette. It turns out that smoking gives you well, all sorts of things. Lung cancer, many, many disorders. It's one of the biggest causes of death and illness in the UK. It's not just a cigarette. And here's the thing. What if lust is like that? It's just a look. 
It's just a fantasy. It's just clicking on a website. What if it's not? What if lust is deadly serious? That could be hard to believe because clearly most people think lust is nothing to worry about, something to joke about, maybe. Take clothing. Did you know that when they designed the first bikini, they had to hire a stripper to model it because no model was willing to wear something so revealing? But now, go into the city centre on a sunny day and most people are wearing things that are designed to leave little to the imagination. It's totally normal. Or when you switch on the TV, it's not hard to stumble across something, a, a movie or a TV show that's suggestive, to say the least. Or books. Did you know the top three bestsellers of the last decade were all erotic fiction? Well over a hundred million copies sold. Or take social media. What kind of pictures do people post to themselves on our Instagram feeds? What gets the most views? What stuff are people texting around at school? Or take the massive prevalence of online pornography. In 2018, one of the world's biggest pornographic websites had 33 billion views. That's up 5 billion views from the year before, nearly 100 million views a day. And those numbers have only gone up during the pandemic. That's a lot of people who think lust is nothing to worry about. In fact, they're sprinting straight towards it. See, most people believe two things about lust, two messages that our culture has preached to them in all sorts of ways. One, there's nothing wrong with it. It's natural and normal, so chill out. Two, it's not bad for you. It's good and healthy. If anything, it's, it's good to indulge your sexual desires, whatever they are, and it's bad of you to suppress them. So be free. If it feels good, do it. That's the air we breathe, isn't it? That acceptance, that approval of lust, that's what we're surrounded by. But as well as being surrounded by it, we're also caught up in it. Whether we're Christians or not, we feel the pull of strong, lustful desires within. Desires that may feel impossible to resist. Desires that whisper to us, relax, it's fine, what's the harm? And Jesus knows what we feel and he knows what we're surrounded by. And he says to us this morning, don't buy the lie that lust is okay and that it's harmless. Wake up. Lust is far more serious than we think. That you and I need to take lust very seriously. Look at what Jesus says in verse 27 of Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here's what Jesus is saying. We should take lust seriously because lust is adulterous. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount for a while now, and we've got to this part where Jesus is correcting something. He's correcting how we might shrink down 
God's law. We saw that last week. God had commanded, you shall not murder. And people took that to mean, well, as long as I don't physically do the act of murdering someone, I've kept God's law. Well done me. And Jesus says to that, well, you might not have literally killed someone, but what about the violence you do against them with your words? And the anger you feel against them when you wish they were dead? What about the murder in your heart? In other words, you've kept the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. And it's the same idea here. God had commanded, you shall not commit adultery. And people think to themselves, well, as long as I don't physically commit adultery, I've kept God's law, and I won't worry too much about anything else. And Jesus says, come on, don't kid yourself. That might obey the letter of the law, but it's not the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is God's deep desire that we avoid anything that even smells of adultery. That's what the command is getting at. And so Jesus says, looking at someone lustfully breaks God's law. Because though you might not physically commit adultery with them, you've imagined it. You've committed adultery in your heart. Do we see what Jesus is saying to us? When I mentally undress someone I see on the street, or play out a fantasy in my mind, or view online pornography, I'm committing adultery in my heart. Do we see that? Even today, when most people would say that, that anything goes sexually, most people actually still agree that adultery is wrong, cheating on your spouse. And Jesus is just tracing that back to the source. He's asking us, what's going on in your heart? You know, that, that person you're looking at, why are you looking at them? You know, are you looking at them in love as a whole person made by God? You might even notice they're attractive. That's okay to notice someone's beauty. There's nothing wrong with that. Or are you looking at them to lust after them as just a body to feast your eyes on? And no one else might see. It, it might just be our little secret, except that God sees, and he hates adultery, whether it's expressed physically or in our hearts. Now, don't get the wrong idea. It's not that sex is some dirty, shameful thing and God looks on disapprovingly, you know, arms folded, shaking his head. No, the Bible's clear that sex and sexual desire are good gifts from God. God's not against them. He invented them. I remember a, a talk, someone speaking on the Bible's creation story, and their point was, when God created us, he gave us two jobs to do, sex and gardening. Sex is a good gift from God. God is all for it. But the Bible is also clear that all sex is for marriage. God sums up his design for sex in, in this verse from Genesis. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. 
See, sex belongs in marriage between a man and a woman for life. That's God's design. Which means we should only have sex with someone we're married to, and we should only desire sex with someone we're married to. It's a bit like a compass. We've somehow ended up with a running theme of compasses these couple of weeks. But a compass is designed to point in one direction, and one direction only. Wherever I put it, it will always point north. That's what it's for. And God's design for our sexual desires is like that. God intends they should only ever point to someone I'm married to. That's what they're for. And if I'm married, then I'm to nurture that desire and enjoy it passionately with them and only them. That's God's plan for sexual desire. It's meant to point only to someone I'm married to. And so do we see that lust, desiring sex with someone I'm not married to, however natural it feels, is completely against God's design? It's not some little tweak. It's like someone prying open a compass and scraping and twisting the needle until it points south instead of north, the complete opposite of what it was for. That's what lust is, an evil twisting of God's design, God's good gift. If it's not pointing to someone I'm married to, says Jesus, it's adulterous. I'm conscious these are heavy words. I wonder what we're thinking. We might be thinking, well, okay, I can see that lust isn't good in theory, but at the end of the day, come on, what's the harm with a little bit of lust? You know, what's the harm with a little look? And Jesus has more strong words for us. He says, we should take lust seriously because lust sends people to hell. Look back at what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Why? It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I wonder if you were to to take a straw poll of what sins do people think would lead, would, would end up with people going to hell, what would it be? Murder? Human trafficking? Adultery? Jesus says, lust. And we might think that sounds over the top. I mean, everyone's doing it. They're not worried. But Jesus says to us a couple of chapters later, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. The sad reality is that people who are relaxed about their lust now will be serious about it in hell. And it's true that lust often feels good 
You know, let's be honest, there is real pleasure in thinking and doing lustful things. But Jesus would say to us, take the momentary satisfaction offered by lust and the eternal torment of hell, and that's the price we pay. See, when the Bible warns us about lust, God isn't trying to restrict our pleasure. He's trying to keep us from unending pain. That's the wake-up call. Jesus says lust is far more serious than we think. The question then is, what do we do about it? That might be a question you're asking yourself very, very urgently. If lust is as serious as Jesus says, what on earth do I do about it? Well, it's very simple. Jesus says, take radical action against lust. I don't know if anyone remembers the old BBC show 999. What happened was they would reenact people's 999 emergencies. I watched it growing up, and one episode is seared into my mind, where a farmer got his hand trapped in the blades of a combine harvester. And with each moment that passed, the blades were drawing him, his whole self, further and further in. And knowing he was going to die if he didn't do something drastic, he did the one thing he could do. He took out a penknife and hacked at his arm until he had cut off his hand. It must have been horrifically painful and gruesome, but it was his only option, and it saved his life. And that's the point of Jesus' violent images, ripping out your eye, cutting off your hand. He's not saying do it literally. He's saying take radical action against whatever causes you to lust because your life, your eternal life, depends on it. It might be painful. It might feel like amputating a limb, but we need to do it. If we don't, the loss we face will be infinitely worse. So where, where do you need to take radical action? Maybe there's a particular place where you need to be careful or just avoid. Shop fronts, you need to avoid passing. Businesses you just shouldn't go into because of temptation. Or when you're out for a walk and you notice someone scantily clad coming towards you, resolving not to take that second look, that lingering look. Maybe the struggle is closer to home. How can you take radical action? I know of someone who took his bedroom door off, his, off its hinges so that he was more open to his housemates. Maybe the TV is a struggle. Maybe you need to have a pin code on some channels. Or you need to decide never to watch TV by yourself. Or just bin the TV altogether. Are there particular times when you struggle? Maybe a day off when you've got nothing planned and you're by yourself with nothing to do. Well, as the old saying goes, the devil makes work for idle hands. So plan stuff in. Arrange to see people if you can. Maybe there are bits of media that cause us to stumble, books that aren't helpful. helpful. Perhaps not altogether bad, but nonetheless that stir up unhelpful thoughts. 
Maybe there's a Netflix series or a movie that would be unwise to watch, even if it's a must-see, even if people are going to ask you, what, you haven't seen so-and-so? Well, missing out and facing some social embarrassment is a small price to pay. Maybe it's the internet. You know, many of us should consider installing software that blocks harmful content or that informs others what we're doing online. Or maybe we need to get more extreme, bin the smartphone, disconnect from the internet altogether, at least for a while. And parents, parents, I, I don't envy your job, but you must warn your kids about these things. It might be hard, but if you don't, the world will quickly fill in the gaps. Or maybe there are people people you need to cut off, school friends who post or circulate unhelpful images. Frankly, if they're luring you into sin, they're not your friends. Maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend who causes you to stumble and you need to end the relationship. Maybe the action you need to take is talking to someone about your struggles, your spouse, your parents, a church leader. I know that could be incredibly scary, but bringing our sin into the light is often the beginning of real lasting change. And as we hear Jesus call to radical action, thoughts might rise in our minds, thoughts like, that's too extreme, that's too hard. How could I live without that? And Jesus would say to us, strong words, if you don't fight lust, you won't go to heaven. It won't matter how well we know our Bibles or how moral other people think we are. It won't even matter if we cry tears over our lust, if we don't do something about it. Jesus isn't asking for success every time but he is asking us to fight. And if we don't, we, we will face grim consequences. So take action. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Well, Jesus' teaching is deeply challenging and touches all of us. We might feel the challenge very sharply this morning. But Jesus speaks these words to us because he wants what is better for us. And so let me reassure us, following Jesus leads to life. We might feel deeply guilty and ashamed of our failure in this area. How could God accept me? But if we're following Jesus, we follow the one, the only one, who never looked lustfully, who never objectified another human being, who didn't have a single impure thought, who is completely pure. And if we're following him, he has taken our sexual sin onto himself and paid for it all at the cross. We stand before God forgiven, cleansed, clothed in Jesus' perfect righteousness.
And as we follow him, we will have to take radical action, but he'll help us by his spirit. If you are in despair this morning over your sexual sin, don't give up. Depend on him for help. Keep going. And it will be worth it if you're in the battle fighting hard. Keep going. Cutting out our sin may may allow us to go deeper with God than we didn't even know was possible. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I'm going to finish by reading reading from a story. It's a story where C.S. Lewis imagines someone beset with lust, and they are this close to heaven. In fact, in the story, they're in heaven, but on the verge of leaving because of their sin. And God has used this story to bless me And I hope he uses it to bless us. Let me read. I saw coming towards us a ghost who carried something on his shoulder. What sat on his shoulder was a little red lizard, and it was twitching its tail like a whip and whispering things in his ear. The lizard represents lust. As we caught sight of him, he turned his head to the lizard with a snarl. Shut up, I tell you, he said. It wagged its tail and continued whispering to him. He ceased snarling and began to smile. Then he turned and started limping westward, away from the mountains, that is, away from heaven. Off so soon, said a voice. The speaker was more or less human in shape, but larger than a man, and so bright that I could hardly look at him. Yes, I'm off, said the ghost. Thanks for all your hospitality, but it's no good, you see. I told this little chap, the lizard, that he'd have to be quiet if he came, which he insisted on doing. Of course, his stuff won't do up here, I've realized that now, but he won't stop. I'll just have to go. Would you like me to make him quiet? Said the flaming spirit, an angel, as I now understood. Of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Ah, look, you're burning me. Keep away, said the ghost, retreating. Don't you want him killed? You didn't say anything about killing him at first. I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Well, that's a further question. I'm quite open to consider it, but it's a new point, isn't it? I mean, for the moment, I was only thinking about silencing it because up here, well, it's so damned embarrassing. May I kill it? Well, there's time to discuss that later. There is no time. May I kill it? Please, I never meant to be such a nuisance. Please, really, don't bother. Look, it's gone to sleep of its own accord. I'm sure it'll be all right now. Thanks so much. May I kill it? Honestly, I don't think there's the slightest necessity for that. I'm sure I'll be able to keep it in order now. I think the gradual process would be far better than killing it. The gradual process is of no use at all. Don't you think so? Well, I'll think over what you've said. I honestly will. In fact, I'd let you kill it now, but as a matter of fact, I'm not feeling well today. Some other day, perhaps. There is no other day, all days are present now. Get back, you're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. It's not so. Why, you're hurting me now. I never said it wouldn't hurt you. 
I said it wouldn't kill you. How about your permission? The angel's hands were almost closed on the lizard, but not quite. Then the lizard began chattering to the ghost so loud that even I could hear what it was saying. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you, and he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could you live? You'd be only a sort of ghost, not a real man as you are. He doesn't understand. He's only a cold, bloodless thing. It might be natural for him, but not for us. Yes, yes, I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams. But aren't they better than nothing? And I'll be so good. I admit I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. Have I your permission, said the angel to the ghost. I know it will kill me. It won't. But supposing it did, you're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this thing. Get it over with. Next moment, the ghost gave such a scream of agony, such as I've never heard on earth. The burning one closed his grip on the reptile, twisted it while it bit and writhed, and flung it broken-backed on the turf. Ah, oh, that's me done for, cried the ghost, reeling backwards. For a moment, I could make out nothing distinctly. Then I saw, between me and the bush, unmistakably solid, but growing every moment solider, the upper arm and shoulder of a man, then brighter still and stronger the legs and hands, the neck and golden head materialized while I watched. And if my attention hadn't been, hadn't been distracted, I should have seen the actual completing of a man, an immense man, not much smaller than the angel. What distracted me was the fact that at the same moment, something seemed to be happening to the lizard. At first, I thought the operation had failed. So far from dying, the creature was still struggling and even growing bigger. But as it grew, it changed. Its hinder parts grew rounder. The tail still flickering became a tail of hair. Suddenly, I stood back, rubbing my eyes. What stood before me was the greatest horse I had ever seen, white, but with mane and tail of gold. It was smooth and shining rippled with swells of flesh and muscle, whinnying and stamping with its hoofs. The newly made man turned and clapped the horse's neck. It nosed his bright body. The man turned from the horse, flung himself at the feet of the burning one and embraced them. When he rose, I thought his face shone with tears, but I hadn't long to think about it. In joyous haste, the young man leapt on the horse's back Turning in his seat, he waved for a farewell, then nudged the horse with his heels. They were off before I knew what was happening. I came out as quickly as I could from among the bushes to follow them with my eyes, but already they were only like a shooting star far off on the green plain and soon among the foothills of the mountains. Then still like a star, I saw them winding up, scaling what seemed impossible steeps and quicker every moment till near the dim brow of the landscape so high that I must strain my neck to see them. They've vanished, bright themselves into the rose brightness of the everlasting morning. Well, may God help us to kill our lust so that we are saved from hell 
to enjoy life with him forever. Amen.